everything that I learn and everything that I know comes from black women. Mm. My grandma being the first. And literally, like the idea of what love can look like comes from my grandma, like a really caring love that she had, a really radical caring love that she carried my life with. Everything that I know about radical love of community comes from black women, comes from uh, the black queer women that I have read. Think about like where I am and what, where I come from, that I always go back to. I see myself in this, you know, black gay man in Stockholm, but also I'm uh, Ethiopian in a queer in an Ethiopian context, in a Habesha context, what that looks like in the, within the community. And then uh, and somehow navigating these different rooms how I navigate, how I camouflage, I no longer do that anymore. You know, the way, the way I see like how my strengths have evolved, that I'm the same person in all of these rooms. And that is really a product of radical love that I have been, you know, that I have around me. As I mentioned, you know, Juliette Apple, who's the, a friend of mine and the co-founder, but also the black women that we have, you know, I mean, just the other one behind me, <laughs> Angela Davis, just to, you know, uh, the people we read are those I look at and I, I, I really just move on and I just continue and I'm super tired. I'm done in many ways, but I will never, ever, ever not give up. Good people, welcome to another episode of This Moment Podcast with myself, Jason Diakite, normally based in Stockholm, but today sitting in the south of France and my man, Marcus Samuelson, my brother, who I think is in Harlem, USA. Today, dear listeners and friends, we have a very special guest. It is my honor to introduce to you the co-founder of Black Queer Sweden, one of the integral parts of Cinema Africa, the film festival that goes down in Stockholm every year, editor at Context Press, cultural producer, and big-time activist, Samuel Girma. Welcome, Samuel. Welcome, welcome, welcome to this moment. We're so happy to have you. Thank you. I feel really humble hearing those uh, credentials or presentation of myself. It feels uh, very humbling, really. Thank you so much for having me. Samuel, if we take it back just a couple of weeks uh, to right towards the beginning of June after the, the killing of George Floyd... What were you feeling in that moment? Well, I was already tired, pretty much. Uh, as a, I mean, I've been activist for the last... Uh, it also feels super strange to describe oneself as an activist, but you know, when you do stuff, when you write, when you uh, produce, when you make uh, language, as Toni Morrison uh, would say, uh, you are doing... You are being active, so I guess that's why... I, I've been more com comfortable uh, you, describing myself as an activist. So I've been really tired, really, really tired. So when that moment occurred, it felt like I was going to lose it. And I was so happy that all Black people, millions of Black people across the world felt exactly the same. And mm -hmm. that translated into a feeling of we're done. We are done, kind of... Um, vibe so i was really tired I, and for the first days i thought i was alone in that feeling but little did i know that there would be millions if not billions of people uh, that are feeling the same explain for our audience what does black life matters and activism look like in stockholm or not only in stockholm even more maybe interesting like in the smaller towns in sweden what does it look like there I think there's also, in terms of Black Lives Matter, there, uh, in the Swedish context, there has always been this image of Sweden as this somehow the better anti-racist country compared to the United States, which is a complete false information, a very falsehood mm. information. And if the measurement of a country is... Um, by by comparing to what's worse, then I'm not gonna you know, you know accept that result. 
So activism here looks like in a way that we are trying to, we've been trying for so long to uh, put our black experiences as Afro-Swedes, our Afro-Swedish experiences of racism Mm -hmm. Uh, into the public discourse, bringing it to the public knowledge so that we are always in solidarity with our Black American siblings, but we are also bringing our issues here, Mm -hmm. which has been really uh, easier said than done kind of vibe because I think white Swedes prefer to know that the United States is racist uh, rather than knowing that Sweden is racist. Mm-hmm. Black Lives Matter activism here looks like that we are uh, coming together, forming different groups, forming opinions. There are brilliant black uh, opinion makers uh, that are literally writing our experiences. They are, uh, and I think the power in, in the activists or in the writers and the opinion makers is that they are making sure that they are putting us in the map of the Swedish uh, identity, that we, our experiences are also um, valid, that we are not seeking validation for our experiences anymore. What would you say are some of the typically Swedish aspects of racism, anti-blackness, that may not be the same in the United States as they are here? Because... Often in, often in Sweden, you hear from uh, regular people on the streets, but also journalists writing a, a lot that, well, the, the police, they don't murder people of color in Sweden, so it's not as bad here. What do you say to that? These misconceptions are very integral part of the Swedish self-image, that this is a, a good country, that supposedly there are bad countries and good countries in the Swedish idea of what is good and what is bad. And that Sweden is supposedly a good country. And that in that good country, racism does not exist. Uh, mm. Sexism does not exist. Homophobia does not exist. Transphobia, exactly. So uh, the, I think for Black people, the ways how anti-Blackness in Swedish context looks like, it starts in the language already. Meaning we can't even uh, express our opinions without being questioned at all times. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I want to go back a little bit. Some of, like, when, where were you born? Tell us a little bit about your background. Give us the journey a little bit. So I am born and raised in Ethiopia, in northern Ethiopia, in a yeah. The domination. I'm born and raised in Gondar, actually. Oh, wow. I've been to Gondar. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So much history. Yeah, it's a yeah. lot of history. It's a lot of history. And I uh, lived there until, I mean, I lived in Addis as well, but mainly in Gondar. And Addis is one of my hearts, my favorite cities uh, just to just be because, I mean, it's my home, but also it's a crazy-ass town that I really love doing crazy shit in. And I will tell you more about it that I can't do those things anymore because of the queer aspects, but I will tell you, I will go there. Uh, And we moved to Sweden 20 years ago, approximately. So I grew up in Ethiopia, moved to Sweden. So my first encounter, I guess, in this dichotomy of like white versus black kind of thing, 
when you live in Ethiopia or in Sub-Saharan Africa, you don't think that you're black. You're black. Of course, you're black. Mm-hmm. That's nothing. Yeah. You know, that's uh, you. Everybody's black. <laughs> everything. Your doctor's black. Everything you see is like black. You know, like so. It's like your grand. Everybody's like so. The first, I didn't quite understand as a thirteen going fourteen. Uh, years old. The, I mean, I've heard about like history, you know, like kind of like we watched Roots. Thing. I didn't really grasp racism would be that up in my face uh, in a way that was, I didn't really understand why would these white people think they're better than me, kind of, you know, that 14 years old me was trying to figure out that out when we moved to Sweden. Because I really did not, you know, coming from, especially also like coming from Ethiopia, <laughs> it's really like a country that really like lives off like in a, just like pride of the black people kind of like, I, I like, you know, point of view. So I really was like trying to like, what is going on? Why is this inferior complex comes from or, you know, superior complex and et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so we moved to Sweden and it was the strangest thing. I had to learn Swedish and it was, wow, this weird ass language that I was like, I'm never mm. going to learn this language. I and think. did you move to Stockholm, Samuel? Stockholm, yeah. Prior to me and my sister in Stockholm. So it was, I only <laughs> lived in Stockholm and Sweden. And now <laughs> thinking about <laughs> it, I would not have lived anywhere else <laughs> in, in Sweden. Uh, in Hesselby, to be uh, specific, in sure. Berlin, Hesselby. Right. Yeah, I don't know if you know it. It's XFM. It's XFM. Yes. Well, of, course we know it. of course we know it, brother. <laughs> of course we know it, my man. Uh, yeah. And, you know, it was strange in the beginning, uh, adjusting to this new space. But then I, I mean, within like the first few years, I really, really, really tried to make it like my home, my place, my, you know, learning Swedish. and just trying to be like uh, a part of it because I felt like I'm, you know, now we, we live here, we moved here, so I might as well just be a part of this uh, society. So I was, when I was uh, 16, 17, I went back to visit grandma in Ethiopia and it was a powerful uh, journey, just, you know, just missing grandma, but also missing Ethiopia and mm-hmm. just the people and the place I went there and it was such an experience. You know, you're still an ideal person, but then, you know, young and ideal and naive, kind of like 17 years old, thinking, Mm -hmm. wow, I see the world in a different way. And you kind of like try to figure out like the politics of the countries, what is going on, what is happening, et cetera, et cetera. So in Sweden, I start, when I came back after visiting, I started to try to be engaged in different organizations Mm -hmm just trying to be a part of society because I really had, uh, or I, I, came, I come from a certain family that was really politically active, but also that there was always uh, the will of change in like the idea that we can change stuff was not far from my head. And mm. so I did believe in that. So I started to be engaged in different organizations and I started to miss black people in Stockholm. I was like, where are we at? Because I see us, you know, when we move around in the suburbs. I know we're there, but when in these kind of organizations, in our, uh, in the arts, especially where I was really much interested in, and cultural events uh, that are not just cultural events like, you know, Habesha Nights or stuff, like just like generally in the city, like where we are. Hey, 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 don't talk bad about Habesha Nights. (laughs) No, I love Habesha Nights. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I love Abidjan yeah. I'm the I'm the queen of Abidjan Nights. How dare yeah. you? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, but it, it was like seeing the discourse of the, you know, different organizations, platforms, political groups, and stuff, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, that I started to like, like I know we're out here. I live amongst white people in the suburbs. Like I know wh- where we at though. So that kind of like loneliness really. Uh, had a longing to find other like black folks who want to do stuff later like much later like when we were like in our 20s and we started to i mean i started to become like in different uh, separatist kind of um, organizations that were really about like uh, social justice uh, organizations or social justice groups and you know we were talking about reading you know fanon and davis you know like just like thinking about like how class in our uh, suite, especially because a lot of us were organizing were with parents with my grand, 
backgrounds also migrate to Sweden, sure. that the, I, the class issue was really important for us because we were for mm-hmm. the first time experiencing the class aspect of, you know, having people, our friends, white friends who, who are middle class or who inherit middle classness. And then we come and hang out and, you know, that, that, that little clash that was so interesting because it's really a clash, right? Absolutely. Yeah. We talk about that. Jason and I talk about class and cultural identity constantly. And it's something that, you know, is for an adopted person, you enter middle class, but you lose your your culture for so as an adopted I was always jealous of the immigrants because they always had culturally you know when we went to the Habisha night I looked like the Swede in the corner and and you you know so I was it's always this back and forth between class and culture tell us a bit about how black queer Sweden came about how did you start and where are you with that now yeah so I mean, in these social justice groups that we were, you know, we were hungry for change or we were hungry for to be heard, to be listened, to be, to organize. And that hunger was like, you know, we would create events, uh, evenings and discuss. And as a queer person who, as a like gay man, I had not yet, you know, or uh, often in these spaces, I did not come out. I did not dare to come out. So I really felt like I was also not, you know, completely 100% myself. Uh, mm-hmm. Thinking also like in different social justice groups um, that I was a part of that were really, um, the discourse or the languages were really like really male dominated and really masculine, really in a way that was t- toxic. and. Because let's be honest, when we cis men uh, hang out, we dominate everything <laughs> in a way, in a, in a discourse, uh, and we take over. So the there was a movement called Black Coffee. I don't know if you heard about it. That was mm-hmm. is, uh, coming up in Stockholm, Sweden, and just generally across the whole of Sweden. That was a separatist Black-only uh, platform. And I was... Um, a part of the uh, literally it was a Facebook group that blew up to, to like this massive gigantic platform that we didn't really you know like everybody was hungry for that like a lot of black people like in Umeå or in Malmö and Göteborg everywhere were like joining the group and like oh shit I thought I was alone with this experience because people started to post like this happened to me so I thought I was just losing my mind or I thought this because it it's a part of the Swedish identity that tells black people that our experiences are individual and not structural, right? So we, so we kind of, you kind of accept that when you're alone, you kind of freak out. Mm-hmm. You're like, oh, this is maybe just, you know, it happens, bad apples every now and then. It's mm-hmm. not a structural mm-hmm. thing. So in this Black Coffee group, the, there was, the discourse was just, there was, I think the, the first time, the first wave of that was just the healing of just talking about your experiences, our experiences. And then in that group, finding other Black queer people was just the best thing ever. So when we started it, uh, Juliet Tato and myself, we found each other and we found other Black queer people, right? Mm-hmm. And we were like, we, our experiences were just you know, we were talking to each other in the beginning. It was just confirming each other, affirming each other, loving each other, and just talking to each other. And knowing that within the queer community, even the white queers are not always our allies. There's so much racism within white LGBTQ community, just as much racism within the white LGBTQ community. So dealing with that, you know, because just because we are also queer, we get to share that, you know, experience and we are always at the front lines, but then we also experience that within our own community. So we kind of felt like, oh my God, to have each other's backs were so amazing. So the, the point of Black Queers became a safe space 
And sometimes the most revolutionary thing we do is meet up, go to the beach, swim, hang out. That's it. Just, like, you know, like, and talk. That is just so like healing, taking care of each other, affirming each other. But we have also, in previous years, we organized Pride events. Last year, we organized uh, Afro Pride in Stockholm at Tegoden. I wanted to ask you about Pride coming up in Sweden. And obviously, it's a celebration. And how are you getting ready for Pride? And then secondary, will there be um, gay Pride in, in Ethiopia? It's Pride Week in Stockholm now. And because of COVID, um, the majority of the events, I think all of the actual like official Pride events are online events, mm-hmm. uh, which, you know, uh, we can't do anything about it until the vaccine is here. <laughs> So this year, it's the way I see Pride. We're just gonna, you know, take it as it comes because of COVID nineteen. We're gonna jo- uh, there will be some online t- things we would um, individually uh, participate in, but gearing up just in our writing processes. We are both uh, uh, Juliet, as the other co-founder, is an amazing writer uh, and playwright. Uh, I write a lot myself, but so I think we gear up our activisms in in expressive in expressive ways in our arts nowadays. We put it in our arts, mm. uh, and then next year we're gonna kick ass <laughs> when uh, hopefully we get to have a reunion of uh, hum- humankind and hug each other. Oh, just to tell you, we recently had a very beautiful thing called um, Horn of Africa. Africa Pride online on Zoom like this and on Facebook Live wow. that was organized by a queer activists from Ethiopia, uh, Eritrea, and Somalia. That was just amazing. Beautiful. It was online. Yeah. yeah, it was beautiful. And it was 7,000 people on Facebook were watching it. And it was beautiful. And a lot of them in wow. Addis wow. and in Asmara. Wow. Yeah, so that was, you know, lovely. Um, but just thinking about how far Ethiopia... To be honest with you, Marcus, regarding to that question, unfortunately, it's very far. Um, mm. It's very far. It's going to take something drastic, which we are doing now. We are collecting narratives. We are collecting histories. We are collecting ourselves mm. and we are organizing. We're not at all going to give up. But pride in Ethiopia, it's, I mean, I believe it will happen. I would like to see it in in my lifetime. I would love to go to a Pride event in Addis in my lifetime. Can I just go back a little bit? Being Ethiopian, I've gone to Ethiopia many times and have family there. Um, I can't tell you how big it is to have an Habesha come out, right? That is... You know, I'm proud of Ethiopia of so many different things, but I'm not proud of how the the, the space that we have not created for uh, the LBTGQ um, community. And so to have someone that is vocal and talk about it. So I just want to go back a little bit. So you did not come out. So how, so you so in, in your teens and early 20s, you were date. You were just dating women then. Yeah, and I was also when I came out. I did not came out publicly. I came out very mm. like selectively, so to protect you know mm. myself and also the ability to go back to Ethiopia as many times as possible. Interestingly mm. enough, when I did come out in the steps that I did secretly and very compartmentalized uh, safe spaces, mm. just mm. like a few friends in Ethiopia, I met. Uh, my till this day, some of my best, best, best friends, queer activists that no longer are unfortunately in Addis anymore because they had to escape. They had to literally flee for their lives. Uh, but we met when, like, ten years ago, twelve years ago, we met in Addis, and we were like, "Oh my God, we exist! We exist!" Because you kind of feel, a lo- especially like, okay, first in Swedish context, I was like, "Okay, I'm a black gay." Uh, I know that I'm a black queer man I know that but as a Habesha I thought like I'm probably the only one that was like Mm. my Mm. you know thing and then coming out in the Habesha community as you know Marcus said it is it is not 
I mean, I still to this day get the comments, the hate mails, the threats, and I'm, I mean, for me, that is from other nothing. from other Ethiopians. Yeah, from other Habashites, and yeah. it's nothing to me because I'm in my safety. I, I have, I know myself. I know what I want. I know my activism. I know my, I know where I stand at. But for mm-hmm. there's so many uh, Ethiopians and Eritreans who are. Uh, LGBTQI people. That that is just the 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 fear is tremendous. How is it for you when you travel to Addis now? Even though, you know, you have come out in a Swedish context, but I'm guessing that in an Ethiopian context, it's very different. So this is what happened <laughs> uh, a few years ago. Uh, uh, just uh, yeah, two years ago. And some of my dear friends who are vocal and amazing and my heroes, uh, activists. They were outed on a, a local newspaper in Addis, mm-hmm. and that was really, really horrible. And then also targeting others there. So there was this really horrific, just a wave of uh, homophobic attacks. And during that, uh, I was also outed on some um, big uh, platform. Somebody wrote on the internet. About you. Yeah. Yeah. And I didn't mind that. I, it was just like, I kind of lost Ethiopia for a while, which I do now because I can't, I don't dare to go. Oh, you can't, you can't go. No, I can't. Yeah. And it's, it's fucking sad because I love being there, but also one of the most traumatic experiences to me happened last year when my grandma that I grew up with passed away and I couldn't even go to the funeral. Yeah. And mm-hmm bury her which is like the only thing i wanted to do so i the idea like you know being vocal as a habesha queer and the losses we do the losses we gain or the losses we uh, experience and we always talk about it. i mean we cry about it mm. we do mm. uh, bunna ceremonies and we cry about it you know we miss it but it's also like it, where i am in my life i'd rather be vocal and lose something and then mm-hmm. you know for that silent 16 year old that i was you know that mm. um i owe to that i owe to everybody that needed that needs to hear my voice our voices so it's difficult uh, a lot of my friends have lost more than just you know uh, i mean their lives to this and i i do feel in the in the I want to see more support from black men, hetero black men, mm-hmm. to our black queer community, especially black trans community. And mm-hmm. as you probably know, Marcus, in the United States, in New York, you know, black trans women are being murdered in an alarming rate. Fortunately, these are often murdered by other black men. Uh, cis black men and so the, that uh, that is something really worth, I mean I, I would like to point at is what I would love to see would be a vocal support from black men a vocal support from black hetero men to uh, our black queer siblings in, in Swedish newspaper Expressen uh, the co-founder of black queers Sweden, Juliet Atto wrote today an article in Swedish about Black Lives Matter that is created by women, it's created by Black queer women, mm-hmm. and uh, the importance that pretty much all movements that bring about change have always been led by Black women, by Black queer, by people, by Black trans women. Mm-hmm. And okay. that, the amount of price. <laughs> that is being paid is, you know, uh, is not even um, proportional to the amount of attention they are getting. Uh, So that I would like to really just really shout out to that. But Samuel, tell us, um, not just in an Ethiopian context, but also just in a global context, what, and educate us a bit, what can the support, I mean, Marcus and I are two uh, hetero black men, what can this? What can our support look like for you? Like, how can we support you? Mm. Oh, 
to be honest, the support is a beautiful thing and it looks different. It doesn't always have to be uh, vocal. It can be contributions to um, relief forms. It uh, can be contributions to trans groups. Just donating money mm-hmm. really uh, would help. And not just in the Ethiopian context, as you said, in just generally in Black queer groups. Uh, mm-hmm. There are in the United States, in Sweden, everywhere. There, the if we think about the hierarchies of society, uh, the people that are um, the worst at the bottom are always black people, and mm-hmm. in the black people in, within the black community, it's always black queer people, black trans people that are at the bottom. Mm-hmm. But support mm-hmm. could also look like by being vocal against uh, misogyny against uh, black women but also uh, against homophobia and transphobia, really vocal support, really. That would shut down a lot of uh, voices, really. Because seeing support, like just sharing a post or sharing somebody, uh, somebody's amazing um, story or something, that, that to lend a voice is a really good support. Mm-hmm. To be a voice like, oh, there are this person there are they are here and they are doing this hear them out you can do this that is a support well you have this moment and you can always come on and if you have something for us to share we would love to put it up on our facebook or our instagram when you're ready to pop the question the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring at blue you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Can I ask you a question? So the gay rights movement in Ethiopia is predominantly underground, right? How far do you think Ethiopia or Africa, or is there an African country that we can look at for an example? And how far is Ethiopia, do you think, from allowing, uh, having been open-minded enough to having an open movement? Uh, and the, there is a network of African queer activists that are really amazing and really coordinating. Just even the visibility aspect is important to be visible so that 
there's power in that, right? To know that there are others out there. So that a lot of the times uh, queer people in, uh, in Ethiopia or on the continent feel they are alone and that they are uh, the only ones. But in terms of how far or which countries we can look at, I mean, I, I look at how activists have worked in Uganda, in Kenya, just which are the pretty, uh, by approximately our closest, uh, right? Kenya is our neighbor, but Uganda is close. So there are open activists there, but they are also paying huge prices. A high price. Just recently, the uh, Kenyan queer uh, activists tried uh, to, you know, I don't know if you know that, to repeal this colonial law that is uh, the law that was called, the, the appeal was called Repeal 162, which uh, forbids uh, homosexuality in Kenya, which is a colonial law mm. but that was just like, you know, mm. from the British uh, colonial rule. And just that, and just that is amazingness that they challenged that in the Kenyan Supreme Court to, mm. yeah. they lost the appeal, but just the fact that they went all the way there is something I look at like mm. super like tremendous. Uh, I, all, I mean, South Africa is a great example, but it's all, it has also a complete different history uh, mm. that is, you know, different, but it's, it's another role model. So there are other African countries. I think that, that also, uh, uh, that um, in the African countries I've been to, like Congo, for example, to me, the connection to to colonialism and homophobia in Africa was so obvious to me that, you know, Christian missionaries, they're anti-abortion, they're homophobic. Uh, there's a set of values that was, that was sold to and convinced and pushed as a part of the colonial package, but that, that goes on still today. Oh, yeah. That, that's uh, completely... It's also fed by especially uh, from the American um, and Western right-wing uh, preachers that they, they do finance these, you know, mega meetings, mega churches that are really just, mm. you know, mm. just spinning out all of this hate just in uh, directly. They are really, that is really like a continuum of both the colonial history, but a continuum of... Um, like how those two are interlinked, right? So mm-hmm. in Ethiopian context, which is so interesting, this uh, tr- tremendous uh, homo and transphobia <laughs> that is so astonishing. It's such it's up in your face and it's really mm-hmm. violent and has always fascinated me because I like what is this this country is afraid of? Truly, what is this this country is afraid that gave? people would do what is that and i i come from you know my generation i am in my 30s like i the the generation the majority of ethiopia is i think my generation and younger which is you know it's a it's a young nation Hmm. so that the 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 drive of like you know the tiredness really is visible like just like young people are fed up like tired of just and then also having access to another world through internet and seeing what is possible to have, what kind of discourses to have, what kind of discussions to be able to have. And I mean, people are really fed up. So that's something I just pick up on. But I'm also super disappointed in the violence against queer people in Ethiopia. And I miss Ethiopia very much, but so that I shut down that part of me because I, would, I miss it every day. I miss Ethiopia every day. Can I ask you? This is a super personal question. If you if you don't want to answer it, we cut it. We we cut it out, right? But can you just slow this down for me? Because I think there's I think there's a lot of power here, and I think there's a lot of people that has a challenging conversation, and particularly in our community, black community, and Habisha community. How do I go to my parents, right? So can you slow down and just walk us through? Here's the day when you decide to tell your mother, come out? I came out first to my sister when I was 16. But then I told her, like, it's only to her that I would tell my mom later when I know more. Because at 16, I definitely thought I was bisexual. Uh, just, you know, like, 
the fear of losing family, the fear of uh, not knowing my queerness. Just that was, you know, traumatic as it was. And it was really heavy. And I love my mom so much. And I think I was 21, 21. Yeah, 21. And I had made, 22, sorry, 22. I remember that. And I had made the, like, I made the conversation in my head several times how the outcome would look like, different outcomes. And I know it's, you know, coming out is also like, there's always a beautiful story around it, but it's a painful story as well. So I Mm -hmm. always tell people, you don't always even have to come out to the people that you think will hurt you the most. You just come out to those who will love you the most. And first, to gain strength then you come out right come out to the people that you know will love you regardless then you gain that a little like you know support you know you can fall back you know you have so coming out to mom was like i went to my mom and i sat it down at mcdonald's <laughs> of all places and i we were having a conversation and the thing the tea was that the tea here is that Another Habesha person has saw me kissing uh, some random dude somewhere and have told, so I heard it myself that, you know, you know, you know how the Habesha phones work. So it, <laughs> it had spread like, so I already heard it before mom heard it. And I, and I was hmm. like, for the first time, I remember like not caring because I was like always been so afraid on my shoulders that I carry a massive weight on my shoulders. It's so heavy so i just felt like oh my god i can't do this i have had tough teen years where i thought i was going to lose my mind you know so now i was just like done so i kind of made the conversation in my mind in my head prior and then we sat down and it was the most difficult thing to say so i said uh i know you heard uh that i kissed a man and i just wanted to let you know that it's true and i and the thing was, I don't even, I remember like thinking like, oh my God. And I didn't even like the guy. I was just, you know, whatever. <laughs> stop, stop, stop. In, in Swedish, in Tigrinya, Amarinya, in English, like what, 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 I need details. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm, it's, uh, it was Amarinya. <laughs> <laughs> I said, Amarinya, Amarinya, no, very yellow, yellow, yellow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and in Amharic, uh, I said, uh, yeah, the, what you heard was right. Uh, what you, uh, and I just want to let you know that I'm so afraid. But by that point, and this is a sad, sad point, I had made up my mind, had my mom not accepted at me at that point i was already gonna say like at mcdonald's okay i love you but goodbye i am wow wow in my 20s i can handle myself i live Mm. by myself so you know like i was already you know uh and you know adulting however that is Mm -hmm. done in your 20s uh but so I already like kind of like made that, and it's no kid should ever have to do that with their parents. It's not an easy conversation, but no kid should ever fear to lose the love of their parents or the acceptance of their parents. And then my mom was sweet, uh, uh, beautiful as she is, and everything is cool and brilliant as she is. She's like, I don't care. I love you anyways, you know. And yeah. it was really emotional, and we. Mm ate at McDonald's, and then I went home. <laughs> wow. That is by far the most beautiful story involving McDonald's. <laughs> yeah. It was McDonald's at Lily Word. <laughs> Word. Word. But thank you so much for sharing that with us, Samuel. Well, we, uh, I think it's fascinating. When you started this, you talked about you, you come from a lineage of activists and politicians. And what comes out of this conversation, I understand now when you said you're tired because you really are carrying two journeys that are in a pivotal moment right now, right? So obviously you're driving and activism around Black Lives Matters in Sweden and then also around um, the LBTGQ community. And so 
maybe you are the politician and the activist that your family comes from in a yeah it just looks 30 years later it just looks like this and that's fantastic have you ever thought about that you know i i know that my father was a tribe leader in ethiopia so i always think about that when i'm tired so you know what what would my dad do <laughs> and it gives me a little bit injection of although the tribe was small and it was in the countryside i think about it a lot with jason's you know you know jason's father was it's an activist and driving force for me in so much of it's a driving force of this moment actually in many ways and and so i i hear it when jason speaks i hear his father in many ways you know although it's a different way i mean for me i everything that i learn and everything that i know comes from black women my grandma being the first and literally like the idea of what love can look like comes from my grandma, like a really caring love that she had, a really radical caring love that she carried my life with. I was a spoiled brat, you know, growing up, but I, I was only spoiled with love. That was the only thing I, like, you know, love, was, I was fed with love. I was, so, but also in my life and as an adult, everything that I know about radical love of community comes from Black women, comes from... Uh, the black queer women that I have read, the black uh, trans women that I have, uh, you know, everybody that has inspired me. Very few men in my life have inspired me. And I'm very happy about that. I'm not sad about that. <laughs> but it's sad because it says something about the discourse. But needless to say, I agree with you, Marcus, that when I think about like where I am and what where I come from, that I always go back to, um, I care, I see myself in this city uh, of you know black gay man in Stockholm, but also I'm uh, Ethiopian and a queer in an Ethiopian context in Habesha context. What that looks like and the within the community, and then uh, and somehow navigating these different rooms how I navigate, how I camouflage, I no longer do that anymore. You know, the way, the way I see like how my strength has evolved, that I'm the same person in all of these rooms. And that is really a product of radical love that I have been, you know, that I have around me. As I mentioned, you know, Juliet Atta, who's the, a friend of mine and the co-founder, but also the black women that we have, you know, I mean, just the other one behind me, <laughs> Angela Davis, just to, you know, uh, the people we read are those I look at and I, I, I really just move on and I just continue and I'm super tired. I'm done in many ways, but I will never, ever, ever not give up. Springboarding from that thought, what do you think the coming months, the rest of 2020 look for you in, this, in these parallel struggles uh, or intertwined uh, uh, movements and or this one movement that has several arms for you looks like do you feel do you for example feel that things are are we moving the needle in sweden just to put it more precisely Mm, good question we have always done that it's just that i think the ways we have looked at validation has made us look as if we have not moved the needle so I think we need to stop looking at white gaze, the, this, you know, the white point of view, to get that validation. What we have already done, that we have tremendous, we have moved the needle far beyond. It's just that I think we seeked the validation of the, uh, you know, the, the majority whiteness that we have always, you know, have we done right? Did we move right? Did we do the right way? Kind of. So I think we need to step away from that point of view a lot more. We have each other. We are enough for each other. So for me, the, the coming weeks, months, years is going to be focusing on black art, black films. I work at Cinema Africa Film Festival, which is, you know, an uh, African and African diaspora, black films, you know, that's a home I, uh, that, where we curate films around the topics that are our lives, around our lives. I have a son uh, who is 11. I think about about how I should protect his happiness, his joy, his blackness, his everything without putting the whole world on his shoulders. And that I can only do through art, through, you know, what just 
moving myself from the white validation that we no longer need. Well, we want to say uh, thank you so much, Samuel Germa. Where can people find you? What's your Instagram? So, you know, hopefully you can pick up some followers because your conversation is so valid. Oh, my Instagram is, yeah. <laughs> I literally created Instagram uh, a month ago, I think, or two months ago. So I'm a, a late bloomer. <laughs> but uh, it's, uh, it's called uh, At The Fab Blackness, obviously. Uh, <laughs> All right. Thank you so much, Samuel, for coming on, sharing your stories, uh, enlightening us and sharing your energy. And also, you know, good luck in these movements that, of course, we're also a part of, but that you are, you know, um, a pioneer of in Sweden and I'm sure in the future in Ethiopia also. And I have, I've, you know, on behalf of Mohammed, I only have one request after this. Yeah. <laughs> actually. Uh, next time Mohammed throws a party, can you please come? Because that's like what he said. Like, when you throw a party, you just want Samuel Girma to show up. Yeah. <laughs> can you please just- I will come. I promise. Right. I wish. That's a promise. It's official. Listen, if you do not find me at work, if you do not find me with my son, you will most likely find me at the party. Okay? No excuses, Samuel. Okay. And then the last, the last request is just a two. Can you just say, I'm Samuel Girma. You're listening to this moment, please. Okay, I'll say it in both. My name is Samuel Girma, and you're listening to this moment. To me, Samuel Girma, no. This moment, no. Thank you. Thank you so much. We really appreciate you. Thank you so much, Samuel. Thank you. This moment is produced by Mohammed El Abed. It's an Acast recording and can be heard on all platforms. So stay tuned. More depth coming your way soon. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. 